97.1 FM Talk Podcast. The only thing I'm going to need from you guys right now is a cup of coffee. Today's global economy waits for no man. America. Today's global business climate is like, whatever, dude. Politics is a dirty game. I'm not sure we want to play. There are forces here at work that you couldn't possibly understand. You have no idea how high up this goes. Welcome to Wiggins America. Set foot in America one fine today. Sailing into Baltimore well everything's okay. New buttons on the jacket, shining like the brand new dust. Listening in the sunlight, blistering my eyes. When you said that you loved me, I knew it wasn't true. I've one hundred and nine messages. Welcome, welcome. It's been a very strangely busy week. You know, coming into the show, I had lots of, you know, prep and everything like we normally do. And I was thinking, man, it's been kind of a slow week. But the more I look at it, the more I'm like, no, that's actually been a lot going on this week for a December week. Usually these are, you know, December's a little slower. So anyway, welcome to Wiggins America. We had a Republican debate this week, which was whatever. We had Kevin McCarthy resigning from the House this week, which was also like whatever, but newsworthy. Um, but the big news has been this Hunter Biden indictment, which just happened Thursday night. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit, but I just want to tell you what's coming up in the show as well. By the way, get well old Roy two weeks in a row now that we have not had old Roy as a part of the show. He's been sick, and so get well soon, old Roy. I told him, I, I to my credit, I did text him, and I didn't say get well soon. I said, why don't you just get better? I think that was a little more forceful. I think one of those would be received better as more motivation. Because I do think that he just needs to get better. It's his fault. Anyway, let's talk about the big news of the week. That is Hunter Biden and the indictment. I am on record on the Mark Cox Morning Show is talking about this and saying nothing will happen. That is because nothing will happen to the Bidens. The Bidens are the deep state. It's not the deep state protects them. They are part of the swamp, and the swamp protects its own. You want proof? Look at all of the whistleblowers coming out at these different agencies. The DOJ, of course, is run by Joe Biden, the current president. But so is the FBI, ultimately. So are many other agencies, including even the IRS. That's why I'm surprised that this uh, this indictment has come down. But the way that it came down is the way that it would have to happen outside of Washington, D.C. This happened in California. Nine new charges in California related to allegedly failing to pay taxes. Now, I'm just going to give you the details of this indictment and really it, the, the, the big details from it, because I can give you just this headline, which is nine new charges in California, you know, one point whatever million dollars that he didn't pay in taxes. But here's what the indictment says if you're going to boil it down to the, the sort of salacious stuff. Number one, Hunter Biden allegedly spent a total of $872,000 roughly on various women and adult entertainment. From 2016 to 2019, Biden allegedly spent all this money paying what the indictment described as to various women, including people he had romantic slash sexual relationships with. I don't think there was a lot of romance involved. 
and $188,000 on adult entertainment, including at sex clubs and memberships to sex clubs and exotic dancers and strip clubs. This is all between 2016 and October of 2020. Uh, he spent all this money also on drugs, escorts, and girlfriends and luxury hotels. I think they were very, very fast girlfriends, maybe one-night girlfriends. Exotic cars, clothing, and other items of a personal nature. In short, everything but his taxes, the indictment reads. Uh, number two, Biden allegedly failed to identify payments to a stripper and escort as personal expenses rather than business. These are things that... You go, this is what it took? Yeah, it's been right in front of them the whole time. That's the thing you're going to find with most of these things. Uh, so it says that Biden met with his accountant in California on January 28th, 2020, and reviewed the general ledger for his business entity, Awasco PC, to confirm light item accuracy, and he did not uh, achieve accuracy. Number three, Biden allegedly claimed money paid to sexual and romantic partners were wages to reduce tax burden. So he was basically saying, I'm, I'm paying these prostitutes and they're my contract workers. I, I think that's what that's saying, which is obviously ridiculous. Number four, Biden allegedly falsely claimed stripper and sex club payments were business expensive. That's basically the same thing as I just said. And number five, which is the last one, Biden allegedly spent thousands on his business line of credit at a strip club. If you find a theme here, I think the guy had a drug and stripper problem. I think he was having a whole lot of sex with a whole lot of people and was using them as much as possible, as much as he was using drugs, actually. He was using women and drugs at about the same rate. And anytime those two things meet, along with a lot of power and a lot of money, you're going to have corruption. I don't care who you are. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. Joe Biden knew this was going on. That's what's so weird about reading all this, is that <clears throat> I'm reading these quote-unquote salacious details but these are things that we already knew. I mean, if you've been paying even a little bit of attention, you knew this stuff was happening. Now it's just legally official as far as indictments go in California, of all places, in Los Angeles is where the special counsel filed these things. The one thing about this that sounds to me like it's still deep state. Now, now I'll, I'll say before I say that, that the, the reason that this could actually have some legs to it is because it's not in Washington, D.C., However, it is in California, and my guess is that they did it in California not as a political move so much as maybe a lot of the stuff that happened was in California. That's my guess, because we're talking about the DOJ special counsel David Weiss in the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California. Um, so I think there's a correlation there. So that's not necessarily the deep state part that I think we should be watching out for. The part that disappoints me concerning this whole thing is that all of the charges are between 2016 and 2019. Well, guess where basically all of those, save maybe a couple little details, but basically that entire time span is when Biden is not in office. So to me, what this looks like is they're setting it up to where Joe Biden has some plausible deniability that he can say, well, my son may have done all this, but it didn't involve me, and even if it did, I wasn't in office. So I think that is the part that concerns me, is that obviously nobody's paying Hunter Biden from China or Ukraine or anywhere else, 
because they're like, this guy's a genius. We got to have him on the energy board for Burisma. We don't know what to do with this company. This guy can set us straight. They're obviously buying political influence, and it's so freaking obvious that I can't believe we're still talking about this when the laptop and all of the big news broke about four years ago. It's taken this long because Democrats have obstructed this investigation the whole time. And really beyond Democrats, the deep state, permanent Washington, the administrative state, whatever you want to call them, they have slow walked this and intentionally buried it at every level of government in Washington, D.C. So my concern is that if we do see something from this, they stopped the investigation at 2019. Now, maybe that was deliberate. Maybe we do have uh, David Weiss here doing something good and saying, you know what, nothing was going to happen if I tried to tie this to the president of the United States because the president would then have legal authority to wipe it away or, or get out of it. So he deliberately didn't go after when he was president. I, that would be the best case scenario. My guess is, though, that the reason that they're doing this is because he has plausible deniability. Just me. But that's where we're going to start the show. A reminder that Old Roy is not in today, but Trisha is. And we do, we're do. we going to take a short break from like the hard, hard news of the week just a, a quick hit with Chris Woolsey coming up next. He's our streaming correspondent to kind of give you the lay of the land as far as Christmas stuff, uh, anything you might want to stream during the holidays. We'll just do that real quick, and then we'll get right back to some of the stuff that happened this week with Trump and Hannity and Ramaswamy versus Kilmeade. I can't wait to talk about that. At the very end of next hour, though, here's the big tease of the day. The very end of the show, next hour, we're going to have Bob Zeidman on You'll hear me talk about this throughout the couple hours here. He is the guy who you may have seen news stories about him. He sued Mike Lindell in Mike's Prove Mike Wrong Challenge at his election fraud symposium. So the reason I want to have Bob on is because I want to talk detail. I want to talk about what he saw that Mike had in terms of the election fraud claims. And I want to know why he did this and how he won because he did beat Mike Lindell in that challenge, and Mike Lindell now apparently owes him $5 million. We'll find out where that's at. That's all at the end of the show. Stick around. Big show here, Wiggins America. Wiggins America, good weekend to you. So I am very excited to have our very own Wiggins America streaming correspondent, Chris Woolsey, on the phone with us. Chris, good weekend to you. Oh, my goodness. Good weekend to you, good sir. And happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and all of that includes. Thank you very much. Um, I am... So last time we spoke, uh, I said, what are the scariest movies for this season, which was Halloween? So my assumption is we're going to talk about the scariest movies for Christmas now. Is that wrong? Uh, you know what? It, it's funny you say that because we actually do have a bunch of those bizarre Christmas <laughs> horror films. But no, no. something tells me that people might be in the mood for something a little more family friendly. This season. <laughs> well, maybe we'll, we'll we'll go into that territory. I was kidding. But, yeah, of course you do. I, I, you have everything. So I shouldn't be surprised. Um, Chris is, is represents, gosh, so many different streaming outlets. Redbox, Crackle, Chicken Soup for the Soul. So lots of different angles to approach Christmas. Where do you want to start? You want to start with, like, the big ones that are getting the most traction or what? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can start with Crackle and, and move on from there. Sure. So what's on um, Crackle right now that I should check out before Monday rolls around? Okay. So if you like 
Hallmark type films. We have a ton of those, but these are Chicken Soup for the Soul originals. So they're similar in tone and theme and uh, kind of use the same template. Um, I, I think the formula exists because people love it. Um, but these are originals, so you can only see them on Chicken Soup for the Soul and on Crackle. Um, but we've got a bunch of great ones. We have uh, the, the big one that we're promoting right now is A Cowboy Christmas. And now I, I know this sounds crazy, but it's about a city-loving, high-powered female executive <laughs> who runs into a small-town, country-loving cowboy. Now I know this sounds completely wild. And never, never entered in uh, territory, but uh, it, it's I, super fun. See, I would have thought, I didn't know that the, the, the twist to me there was that she finds possible love in a small town. Because to me, if you live in a big city, you're completely content. You never look outside of the city, right? Totally. Totally. And that's the, the reveal in the movie. This is the wow. arc of the character. Incredible. <laughs> Chris, I got to ask it's you, as, as somebody yeah. who's, who's I, that's not my genre, um, my wife, though, the minute, I'm not going to say like the minute December rolls around, it is November 1st. She is all the way in on every schmaltzy Christmas movie she can find. She does nothing but stream these things. And she's a teacher, so she basically turns it on and she grades all night. And so I'm around a lot of these movies. My, my question for you, because there's clearly like something there that people really latch on to. Is there a difference between that type of Christmas movie and a typical, you know, Hallmark movie other than it, it's set at Christmas? Like, is there something there that's Christmassy about it other than the decor? Yeah, I think it, in some ways there are because a, a lot of these films will kind of work in a Christmas theme. So there's always the romance angle, obviously. Right. That's, the, that's the bait that gets you in the trap. Um, but then there, there is usually some sort of larger spiritual lesson that, that is learned about generosity or faith or, or any of these things. You're right. That is very true. I'm glad you put your finger on that. So Yeah, it's, it, it kind of just adds an extra layer to it. So since we're, uh, we're on that topic, <clears throat> is there anything outside of that genre that we should be looking for either this week or this Christmas season in general? Yes. Uh, so one of the films that I'm most excited about, uh, it, and I don't know how I missed this when it was on originally because it won an Emmy, uh, and this is A Christmas Carol, the musical, starring Kelsey Grammer from Cheers. Oh, yeah. Okay, he's been yeah. in the news lately anyway, so. He's always in the news, usually not for something you want to be in the news for, but... <laughs> yeah. but uh, He's so talented. I didn't know. I know he. I, I knew he had done Broadway quite a bit, and I think he is right now. Um, but I didn't know he sang, and his voice is incredible. It. It also has uh, Jane Krakowski from Thirty Rock, who's one of my favorite comedic actresses of all time. Bunch of other people, but it. It actually won for best music direction. Uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful production. Obviously based on the uh, Charles Dickens uh, classic, but it's it's really well done and. I'm not I, – I am admittedly the only theater major who uh, did not like musicals. So <laughs> it, it takes a lot for me to actually get excited about a musical, and, and this one 
tip the bill. Oh, that's good to know. Maybe I can wedge that in there amidst my wife's viewing. She, I mean, she has been viewing like a ton of movies in the genres that you're talking about, and you guys do have a ton of them. <clears throat> I'm not joking. There are like, we have like six or eight just, I mean, no, I mean, probably 60 or 80, but uh, of the originals, there's like six or eight that are the, the Christmas uh, originals, and then there's just tons and tons from various distributors so your wife can go if she's run through the gamut on the the other brand uh tell her she's got an open field on ours okay so since we started the interview by talking about scary christmas movies even though i was joking now you got me interested like what what kind of scary christmas movies exist at all really oh gosh Let, uh, let's look um we have uh, a dark christmas we have let me jump on here really quick i wasn't yeah, expecting I put you on the to spot. take this turn but no no that's okay um we have one called the hogfather that's uh based on some sort of uh norwegian legend uh it's like a, it's like krampus you know you hear people yes. talking about that one all the time this is the hogfather uh was a tv miniseries and uh it's it's been doing quite well for us which is uh, extremely strange, um, but yeah, there there is a a lot of really bizarre. If you're looking for uh, Christmas counter programming, <laughs> we've we've got you covered there too. Chris, is all this on Crackle, or is it spread across other platforms too? Everything we've talked about so far is on Crackle. Okay, and then we we've got a whole other trove that is uh, Redbox, and then yet more on Chicken Soup of the Soul. Of course, of course. Well, Chris, I appreciate your time as our as our streaming correspondent. Now it's going to be a little tougher as we move out of the holidays to let me know, you know, because we got a theme right now in January when we have you back. You you have to come up with a theme because I don't really know what January's theme is. Oh, I will. New Year, New You. Uh, oh. We're, we're, Okay. We've got you covered. No worries. Of course you're thinking ahead of time. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> duh, of course you've already got your themes worked out probably for the next year and a half. Uh, Chris? Totally, totally. One thing yeah. uh, to mention uh, with Redbox before we jump is starting December 15th, you'll be able to rent and purchase uh, the international phenomenon Sound of Freedom, which we're super excited uh, to be one of the outlets. Um, and that's the Jim Caviezel uh, child trafficking movie that's been getting so much press lately. Oh, that's um, so great. that's going to be available. You can get it now, but it's at an advanced price uh, since it's an early screening. But starting the 15th, it's going to be the normal rental price of six ninety nine dollars uh, to rent. And I believe it's 20 to purchase. Great. But it's yeah. a phenomenal film. Thanks for the heads up. We've been pretty close to that film on Wiggins America. We actually talked to some of the producers and uh, so forth. So I'm looking nice. forward to making that. Yeah, because it's been, you know, a little bit harder to see uh, unless you go to the theater. So many people I talk to, they're like, you know what? I don't even go to the theater anymore. So uh, they've been waiting for this moment. I didn't know it was so soon. That's great. Yep. Yep. It'll be here before you know it. All right, Chris, thank you so much again for your time. And uh, we'll catch up with you in a roughly a month for New Year, New You. I hope people aren't thinking about that yet. You know, at this point, just think about Christmas and then all of a exactly. sudden join a gym and then you can deal with that later. That's my advice. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, thank you so much for having me. I, I'm counting the days till I can come back. All right, Chris, thank you so much. He is our streaming correspondent for Wiggins America, and we will hear more from him 
in uh, about a month or so, I'm sure. So right now, we're going to take a short break. We'll probably talk a little bit about that handy stuff that Trump was on. We'll play some clips, get your feedback, and we'll be right back. All right, I'm leaving enough time to talk about Elise Stefanik grilling Harvard and Penn, and I think MIT was the other one. We're going to do that in the next segment, and I'm going to play the audio because it is dramatic. You've probably seen it already, but I'm, I just... It's huge news from this week. We have to talk about that. It, it's such a it's such a microscope on where American leftism has gone on college campuses. We've got to talk about that. So we will. But first, I mentioned in the last segment that we're going to talk about Brian Kilmeade here. Now, Brian Kilmeade was just in town, so I don't have any like secret knowledge from talking to him off air, which we did a little bit. Although he's in high demand, even when he's here, though he is flies in and then he is extremely nice but everybody wants to meet him and talk to him and get autographs with the book and everything so he's in town so we don't i can't say that i get to like hang out with the guy a whole lot but just a little bit here and there i, I can't tell you I got any secret knowledge about where brian kilmeade's coming from on vivek ramaswamy but he's been very very open about what he thinks about vivek and about what he thinks about vivek's foreign policy it ain't happy so when he was here i think he was on with reardon talking about other things, but but that issue has come up either in that interview or elsewhere, where he's very public about that Ramaswamy is basically a complete idiot on foreign policy. I, I don't think I'm mischaracterizing his position on that. So when this clip kind of hit the internet, I took notice because I like this debate. So I'm going to play, I think the whole thing is about four minutes. I'm going to play two minutes of it for you right here. And maybe stop along the way, maybe at the end. I don't know. I'll do what I'm inspired to do as we listen to this. It is an absolute throwdown live on Fox News between Kilmeade and Ramaswamy. Here you go. Hey, can you hear us now? Hey, Vivek. Vivek, are you comfortable? Are you comfortable with Russia taking as much as Ukraine as they want? Are you comfortable pulling all our aid out? And do you really believe that Vladimir Putin will agree not to have an alliance with China? I think we have to be play hardball there and make a hard deal that requires any reneging on that deal to have major consequences. Like what? Like for sanctions so like we have right now? Well, look, I think that we have to be able to have real consequences, maximum pressure campaign. We have sanctions. We don't have a maximum pressure campaign. And I can go into the details of that, and I have at the Nixon Library and elsewhere. But what I'm saying, Brian, is the clear principles are this war doesn't advance U.S. interests. Yes, the it does. Russia-China if you give up Eastern Europe, Hang on. I am going to step in right there because I want to make a point. One, I think Kilmeade is right that it is going to be difficult to break up China and Russia right now. I think Vivek is right, is that that should be our top priority, and nobody's really talking about it in the U.S. government. It's just kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's a consequence of the, US, of the Ukraine war. Uh, there's not really much we can do about it. They're both making points there that have some merit, so I don't know if either one of them wins. Now they're going to talk about, and they already started here, talking about how they're giving up Eastern Europe if you turn your back on Ukraine. Let me ask you a question. If right. you ask the question, please, I want to make sure I answer it. You, it is detailed, in our interest. Detailed contours of a deal. I think it is not in our interest to strengthen the Russia-China alliance, and I think our policy it's right now be done is anyway. driving Russia further into China's well, arms. It's going to be I done anyway. With you you, I you cannot with you keep that. Russia from China. I think Russia is going. I think the answer is we are driving Russia into China's hands. There are kinks in the armor of that relationship. Look at Russia sending weapons to India and to Vietnam after other meetings they've had. 
This is our opportunity. Nixon did this in 1972, and Brian, respectfully, people like you said the same thing, that Nixon right. couldn't do it. Uh, well, it's an outsider was, who's skeptical of that establishment, that's going to be me. Uh, I was seven well, years I mean, old. But you, uh, we, but, we can but, both, you and I both students well, okay, of history, I, I, and I, so I trust Vivek, you to know that. Are you comfortable <laughs> giving up Eastern Europe? I disagree with Kilmeade here. I don't think we're giving up Eastern Europe if we don't continue to fund Ukraine. Now, we might be giving up Ukraine if we don't continue to fund Ukraine's war. But the rest of Eastern Europe, no, Russia has been weakened so badly that they're not going to go beyond Ukraine. They can't even take Ukraine. So even if we pulled out completely right now, I'm not confident that they would take Ukraine, maybe parts of it. And maybe that's what the peace deal is that people are talking about brokering now uh, that everybody's saying, well, especially Vivek is saying, well, that's what people are talking about. That's what we need to do. So I disagree with that point that Kilmeade is making. And I do agree with Vivek in the fact that we need more accountability on the spending. There is none. There just isn't. Because you know they're already taking Moldova, I'm, already making moves on the Baltic already. They're taking more and more pieces of I'll Georgia. Tell you what I'm not comfortable and all with. we've done is sit there and send blankets and MREs, and we got an invasion. So what is going to be next? Because we have no idea how Ukraine has spent $200 billion of our money. We're forking over more taxpayer money. Do you so see how they fight? The crack can buy These guys house. are the best That's fighters corrupt, in the world. And the, I'm not going to stand for Ukrainians that. Ukrainians are probably the best fighters in the world. Ukraine is not some democracy. Ukraine is fighting Ukraine, for their sovereignty. Well, you, and they I were mean, invaded. The they were invaded. Reported. Ukraine has actually assassinated a former president. It just makes you sound so naive. It doesn't like to report that. So naive. You give up Ukraine. Ukraine, and then I a few years you'll be criticizing Joe way. Biden for giving up Ukraine. I respectfully, I, you know, we, we, we can respectfully, now, Brian, I, I think that if, if I called Nikki Haley naive, you guys would be having a conniption. Let's be honest about that. But you want to call me naive, I actually understand what the heck I'm talking about. Okay, that's what I pulled. And I'll say that Ramaswamy, I think, was right here in saying that Ukraine is corrupt and it needs to be pointed out. It's not as if we're sending this money to England and saying, hey, brother, country, uh, <laughs> we, we want to help you in this. Ukraine is corrupt. They've been corrupt. Uh, it's been a part of the conversation for a long time. Kilmeade is right in pointing out something that I don't think is pointed out enough in this debate, especially among Republicans, it's that Russia is the aggressor here. Let's not forget that Russia is awful. You know, just saying Ukraine is corrupt doesn't mean you support Russia. It means that you still you have eyes that you can see and ears that you can hear. I do think it's important that Kilmeade makes this point a lot that Russia is the aggressor in this war, and we should not forget that. They're one of our main geopolitical enemies, whereas Ukraine, not really. They're corrupt, but they're not our enemy, at least not that we know of. I think this is a good debate. Overall point is that this is a good debate to be having with Republicans. You don't really hear the left doing this because I don't think they get as deep into policy. They just sort of like yell about feelings they just don't have this level of debate that I think is very encouraging to see coming from the right. Now, I said we get to Trump's clip. I'm going to sneak this in re real quick here. He was on Hannity this week. I want to go back to this one issue, though, because the media has been focused on this and attacking you yeah. under no circumstances. You are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except Look, what? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill. That's drill, not a that's, drill. That's not, oh, no. that's not retribution. I got I'm it. gonna be I'm gonna be, you know, he keeps <laughs> we love this guy. He says, You're not gonna be a dictator, are you? I said, No, 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 other than day one. 
<laughs> it's Trump. I mean, it's Trump's greatest weakness is that he does stuff like that that's just fodder for leftist media. But it might also be his greatest strength that he answered the question with a policy answer. He didn't really answer that question. He made a policy answer. We'll be right back with that stuff from Elise Stefanik grilling Harvard's president. Man, what a week it's been on college campuses. It's been incredible to watch people like Elise Stefanik talk to the presidents of these universities. Uh, Penn State, I believe, is one of them. Harvard was definitely one of them. And I believe NYU. I pulled a bunch of clips from the Harvard president. Uh, her last name is Gay. I think it was Samantha Gay, maybe. And that was an incredible exchange. I actually had friends sending me those clips saying, have you seen this? This is incredible. Because it is. Because what we're talking about here is genuine anti-Semitism. And I'm not using that term broadly. I'm, I'm saying it's here in America as fostered by our own institutions. That's what's so amazing about this is that you thought, you thought, even if against your better judgment, that the people who push diversity, inclusion, at you know, DEI, everything, that these would be people who, even if they were against certain groups, you know, men, white people, Christians, even if they were against those groups and certainly do not stand up for those groups, like the ACLU generally does not, you know, things like that. That they wouldn't be so hypocritical to say, no, we're actually going to support attacks on those people. That they would say, yeah, even, even if they don't really mean it, they'd pay it lip service to say, yeah, we don't really support that. But they can't even do that, at least in terms of their position. They can't back it up with anything. And they have the authority to act on these things at these universities, and they just don't. I loved what members of Congress, especially, like I said, Elise Stefanik, were willing to do this week to the presidents of these universities. Now, she presents, if this were any other group to the president of Harvard, if this were any other group other than Jews, would you say something about it? Dr. Gay, a Harvard student calling for the mass murder of African Americans is not protected free speech at Harvard, correct? Our commitment to it's free speech... It's a yes speech. or no question. Is that corrected? Is that okay for students to call for the mass murder of African Americans at Harvard? Is that protected free speech? Our commitment to free speech... It's a yes extends. or no question. Our commitment to free speech. You know what? Everybody sees your hypocrisy. You have turned over every possible rock in every major area of United States life to try to find racism anywhere you can. I mean, to the point that they make it up and they believe anybody who just says, well, I was a victim of racism. Oh, really? Let me put you on TV. You know, not that she's doing that, but they, they prop these people up. Jussie Smollett, for instance, you know, the, the, no question about the, the case itself. Just admit it happened. Oh, my gosh. Uh, come on. Good morning, America. So these institutions love racism. They love it. They love to promote it. They love to put it on display. So any opportunity they do it, well, unless it's Jews, then it's, it's well, it's free speech. You know, we're not really going to step in. Are there any punishments for that? Well, let me ask you this. Will admissions offers be rescinded or any disciplinary action be taken against students or applicants who say, from the river to the sea or intifada, advocating for the murder of Jews? As I've said, 
that type of hateful, reckless, offensive speech is personally abhorrent to me. And today that when no action will be taken. What action will be taken? When speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies, including policies against bullying, harassment, or intimidation, we take action. And Calling for genocide isn't bullying. <laughs> That's what she's saying. That's what she's saying. This is not bullying. But when it crosses over into that, then we'll do something. We have robust disciplinary processes that allow us to hold individuals accountable. What action has been taken against students who are harassing and calling for the genocide of Jews on Harvard's campus? I can assure you we have robust What actions have been taken? I'm not asking. Actions underway. I, I'm asking what actions have been taken against given, those students? Given students' rights to privacy and our obligations under FERPA, I will not say more about any specific cases other than to reiterate that processes are ongoing. We're doing things. What are you doing? Well, I can't say. Why? Uh, free speech. No, wait. I mean, right to privacy. Which one is it? I, I don't know. I'm not going to say, though. We embrace a commitment to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, offensive, hateful. It's when that speech crosses into conduct that violates our policies against bullying, harassment, Does that speech not cross that barrier? Does that speech not call for the genocide of Jews and the elimination of Israel? When You're calling for genocide. There are people on college campuses beating up Jewish students. They're, they're rallying. They're holding up signs. They're tearing down the posters of hostages. Uh, they're saying that these people should all be dead. Uh, when, it, when it crosses a line, we'll act. You testify that you understand that is the def definition of intifada. Is that speech according to the code of conduct or not? We embrace a commitment to free expression and give a wide berth to free expression, even of views that are objectionable, you and I both know that's defensive. not the case. You were aware that Harvard ranked dead last when it came to free speech. Are you not aware of that report? I reject that characterization. It's the data shows it's true. It's amazing because if this person were that devoted to this idea of free speech, I almost would respect it. Now, not that I would agree with it, but I would respect that she's saying, you know what, I really take a stand because free speech is so important to me. It is so important that though people share ideas that I don't like, that I disagree with, that are disgusting, we have to support the people's right to say it. Now, that's not necessarily true on a college campus. We're not talking about the, the rights as Americans. On a college campus, uh, rules are different. You, you are there to participate in something, not just be a citizen. So the rules are different on a college campus than they are just being a citizen of the United States, first of all. So they, they go after these things when they're pretty much any other group, and they will, like I said, turn over any rock trying to find racism and then punish it accordingly because they can't, <laughs> they can't reconcile these ideas in their head. But again, back to my point, if this person from Harvard, was so committed to free speech that she was saying, I, I hate that this is happening, but we support the freedom of expression, in her words, a wide berth of expression, to the point that we do not want to intervene unless somebody is getting hurt actively. I would say I disagree with that interpretation of free speech, though I... I really like your commitment to the idea. 
But that's not true, and you know that it's not true, because within the last couple of years, under these same people, so it's not even different people in charge and like, well, my predecessor did this. The same people were requiring you to wear a mask, to get vaccinated, maybe even against your own religious beliefs to participate in college classes. Sometimes they were doing it online. You had to get vaccinated to participate in online classes. Oh, but they respect a wide berth of free speech and free expression so much that they can't step in here. Give me a freaking break. By the way, if you thought that the DEI stuff was a red herring, was really just a Trojan horse for Marxism, you're right. That's what's being exposed right now, and it's actually a good thing that it is being exposed. Here's a Jewish student talking about that very thing going on on college campuses and her experience. Being a Jew at NYU has meant being physically assaulted in NYU's library by a fellow student while I was wearing an American Israeli flag and having my attacker still roam freely throughout the campus. Being a Jew at NYU is experiencing how diversity, equity, and inclusion is not a value that NYU extends to its Jewish students. Yeah, it never was. It was never really about diversity, equity, or inclusion. Those things were just nice ways of getting their other ideas across because America has traditionally been a Judeo-Christian nation that built on capitalism, free expression, which is a good thing. All these things are good. Um, And these are ways for them to tear that down by acting as if they're promoting other freedoms. So it looks nice when you support DEI because you feel like I'm supporting diversity and equity and inclusion. But in fact, you're not. The people pushing those things don't actually care about those things as evidenced by what we're seeing take place right now. We're out of time this hour. I want you to stick around because at this time next hour, I'll be talking to the guy who is suing Mike Lindell. He actually disproved some of Mike Lindell's claims. And here's the thing, I got a very open mind to all claims, really of anything, but especially with election interference, election fraud, that kind of stuff, I very much take things case by case. I'm really interested to talk to him because he made some news as the winner of the $5 million Prove Mike Wrong contest, and that is tied up in court now. I want to find out how he did it, why he did it, and where it is now. That's at the end of next hour. Stick around. Get more at 971talk.com.